the lectionary uh, was unaware that this is like fall kickoff Sunday for all the churches and that the text should be appropriate to that. Um, Bob's used the word sobering a few times already this morning. That's a good word to describe the texts that were listed in the lectionary this week. They were, um, yeah, some of those texts that you just sit with and you don't know what to do with, and you think, it's fall kickoff Sunday. We're going to have a lot of visitors. It's, we should, this is not. So anyways, it's been, uh, we've been wrestling with that this week. Um, as some of these texts, I mean, we chose, we chose some, of the, some of the easiest ones. Um, there are a few others that are even, even more difficult to wrap your mind around, what to do with them, and how Jesus fits into the, the story that the texts are telling. Um, Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6 is our second lesson. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hands, and he reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, Just as this potter has done, says the Lord, just like the clay in the potter's hands, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Another year. We keep time now with pictures of our children, our nieces and neighbors, our Sons and cousins holding signs with what grade they are entering in school. This is the new way that we time stamp life. Every fall, time feels like water that we cup in our hands, and no matter how tight we seal our palms together, we can't seem to keep our hands full. It feels like we were just here. Yesterday we cooked 720 hot dogs at the Hunger Walk, and there's something about that event that is sort of Hot dog after hot dog, year after year, the same after the same. Feels like we were just there last week cooking 600. Every crisp breeze in September feels familiar like a blast of nostalgia. And whenever life feels this repetitive, this cyclical, it can begin to feel monotonous. Here we go again. Sometimes it's exciting. Sometimes it's not. Today's passage reaches out to us like a helping hand with an image that reminds us of two things. The first thing is alarming and then comforting. The second thing is comforting and then alarming. The prophet Jeremiah must feel a little bit like he's caught in Groundhog's Day. We're in the 18th chapter of Jeremiah. been 17 chapters already, and they're pretty repetitive in terms of what's happening. The first 17 chapters of Jeremiah's book are his words of warning to God's people. They're called Judah in the book of Jeremiah because that's the tribe that's remaining. Israel and the northern tribes have already come and gone. They've they've been sacked. And so what remains of God's people is Jerusalem, the capital city, and the tribe of Judah holding strong in the midst of intense geopolitical shifts. The Assyrian Empire... Is, is beginning to crumble a little bit during Jeremiah's tenure as a prophet, and the Babylonian Empire is coming in from the east, 
Eventually, Babylon will take out Assyria. And eventually, Babylon, during Jeremiah's time as a prophet, uh, Babylon will lay siege to Jerusalem, set up around it. They will fall, and Babylon will ship off um, all of the educated and wealthy, the well-to-do people of Judah will be shipped off to Babylon, the capital, and, 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 and God's people will be in exile. And that sort of feels, it, it, I mean, it must feel like the end of the story is, is at hand. These are the times that Jeremiah is writing in. And so the first 17 chapters are warnings about turning back to God, warnings about how to behave in the midst of these gigantic shifts But in a world with such outsized forces, it must feel irrelevant to have faith. What could faithfulness possibly effect for God's people? So they turn to the Assyrian gods, and then, well, they turn to the Babylonian gods. None of those gods help, and they forget the Lord and the promises that he made to them, promises that probably would have provided some peace in the midst of turmoil. In chapter 18... Jeremiah is told to go for a walk. Get a change of scenery, Jeremiah. And so he walks down and he ends up in a potter's studio. And he watches the craftsperson at the wheel. Have you watched someone throwing a pot on a wheel? It's mesmerizing. I watched a lot of YouTube videos this week. They're really quite comforting and relaxing. It's mesmerizing, the whirring, the smooth and wet clay. I imagine the smell of it, earthy. And Jeremiah watches until the wet clay crumples on the wheel and the potter scrapes it off and sets it aside. And that is what God's people are like. A piece of clay spoiled on the wheel. The first thing that this image offers to Judah and to us is a bit alarming. It is the sobering reminder that we are clay in the hands of an almighty potter. We exist because the creator keeps spinning the wheel. At God's will, we live and move and have our being. And without God's will, without the energy and determination of God, nothing would have come into being that has come into being. And to be in the hands of another is a vulnerable and scary place to be. And I should probably confess that we cut the lectionary reading off a little bit short. If we would have kept reading up until verse 11, we would have read this. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, look, I am a potter, shaping calamity against you, devising a plan against you. Turn now, all of you, from your evil way, and amend your ways and your doings. But they say, it's no use. We will follow our own plans, and each of us will act according to the stubbornness of our will. Jeremiah's image of God as a potter is meant to catch the attention of God's wayward people. It is meant to be, pardon the pun, jarring, the iconography, the paintings, the storybooks of God as a potter are, um, are all pretty quaint. The songs written about the potter's hands are soaring ballads that make you feel good. 
They do not share the same fear and trembling with which Jeremiah speaks. God is a potter, which means that the whole earth is clay, and Judah is encouraged to take heed. They are clay in the hands of a potter who is mighty and sovereign. And if he could spin the cosmos into being, he could cease its spinning. And that is at first at least alarming. About a week ago, uh, Sonia, my wife, and I had a chance to, uh, the privilege of traveling to Norway um, for some vacation. And um, while we were in Oslo, we visited the Nobel Peace Center. Um, And I learned there about the two people who won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2018. I hadn't heard of them. I I suspect you haven't heard of them. Um, they, They were fairly unknown on the global scene, not like... Um, when politicians win the award. Um, the two people who won it in, in 2018 were Dennis, Dr. Dennis Mukwege and Nadia Murad. They shared the award because they both um, did work of advocating against sexual violence as a weapon of war. And you can maybe imagine how moving and frankly how graphic an exhibit dedicated to their work might be. Dr. Mukwege's plaque read, Dr. Dennis Mukwege first encountered the practice of medicine as a child when he accompanied his father, a minister of the church, on hospital visits. He founded Ponzi Hospital in 1999 in the Congo to focus on maternal health care. Quote, But my first patients did not come to give birth. My first patient did not come to give birth... I forgot we had had kids in here today. Um, My first patient did not come to give birth. She came for something else. At first, I thought this was an exceptional incident. But within three months, I had cared for 45 victims of sexual violence. And there have been multiple assassinations on his life. The other recipient was Nadia Murad, an Iraqi Yazidi woman who was kidnapped and taken as a slave by IS in northern Iraq, where the genocide of the Yazidis has gone fairly unnoticed. The exhibit at the Peace Center identified how sexual violence has been wielded as a weapon of war by predominantly men on every continent in every century of our collective history. It's the sort of experience that leaves you sitting on a bench, seething, blood boiling, and then in the next moment, despondent, your shoulders sagging, your head hung. The world is groaning, and we can hear it. It's groaning in Kabul and Baghdad, in northern Iraq and deep Congo. It's groaning in El Paso and Dayton, on the singed edges of the Amazon and in the deep places of the ocean. We hear it rising this week from the islands of the Bahamas where parents have lost their children and families have lost their home. It's groaning in places like our border and it's groaning in the neighborhoods of Chicago and every school where children are not given the resources or the words that they need to flourish. And as I sat on the bench in the Peace Center feeling angry and despondent, feelings that have not been that unfamiliar, Words of judgment didn't sound so bad. Later, as I was reflecting on it, words from the song that we sang during communion, Rise Up, came to mind. 
for the lonely and forgotten, for the weary and distressed, for the refugee and orphan, for all who are oppressed, for the stranger who is pleading, while insulted and despised. Will you rise? Will you rise? Rise up, rise up. The earth will fear the Lord when you avenge the poor. We don't sing too many songs that have the word avenge in it because the vengeance of of God has been used by the powerful against the poor. But in scripture, the pattern is always the reverse. It's always the prophet on behalf of the oppressed and the poor and the weak and the abused and the downtrodden. And it's always a word to the powerful. And maybe we desperately need a word of judgment. Maybe we desperately need justice to roll down like waters and crack the cedars of abuse and greed and Maybe we need righteousness like an ever-flowing stream to flood the plains of injustice, and maybe we need a good shepherd with a crook in his staff who will turn over every stone and flip every table to find his lost sheep. Jesus didn't mince words with those who had access to wealth and authority and power and who used those precious resources to keep their foot on the neck of the downtrodden. Come, Lord Jesus. The first word from Jeremiah is that you are clay in the hands of a potter. It's an alarming word before it's a comforting word. The second thing, the thing that is comforting before it is alarming, is that the clay seems to have a will of its own. The clay is able to choose whether it will be shaped by the potter. The potter, Jeremiah is watching this, The potter takes a piece of clay and once it has spun and and misshapen itself somehow, the, the potter balls it up again and starts over, puts it back in the center of the wheel and starts spinning, shaping it into something new. And God says, see, I can do that. I can rework you. I can do something beautiful. But throughout the book of Jeremiah, this repetition of God pleading to let him shape them into something new is always a request, a plea. It's never a command. On the surface, this this seems great news. You're your own person. You don't have to become anything you don't want to be. The image of of potter and clay would make you think that God's people really have no volition, no will at all. You you think of other images, the image of God as a parent and a child where clearly the child has some will or the image of um, God as groom and the church as as bride. When when, when these things are personified, it's really obvious that the other person, the child, the, the, the bride, has some choice in the matter. And even in this image of an inanimate object of clay, the clay seems to have a will of its own. God's people are like a piece of clay that while they are spinning on the wheel says to the potter leave us be we'll shape ourselves and God the potter knows that if left to shape themselves they will destroy themselves pottery is really difficult that's what I got from the YouTube videos and I have one recollection of of doing something at a wheel when I was a child I think it was in middle school in a middle school art class and um, a potter was um Someone who knew what they were doing was at the wheel doing something. And, 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 and she let kids take turns coming up and touching it and feeling it. And, um, and, and, and so I remember going up and touching it and, and I was going to touch it so gently and lightly and it wasn't going to do any damage. And I, 
you know, the, the, whatever it was, the cylinder that she had shaped, I, you know, immediately touched it and it was too hard and it, and it wrecked it. And she wasn't surprised at all. And I was so surprised at how gentle of a touch, how, how, how gentle of, uh, of an ignorant touch ruined this pot so quickly. Pottery is really difficult. <laughs> and the potter knows that if left to shape ourselves, we will destroy ourselves. It looks easy, but the centripetal force of the wheel, if left without hands to guide it, will simply destroy the pot. The other way, especially clay in Jeremiah's time, as I was sort of digging around doing some, some research on this, is that you know if you, if, you don't, if you don't have a glicks you can go buy your clay at, if you're just hewing it from the side of, of, of a mountain or under a mountain where you would have gotten clay from, each piece of clay would have had um, inherent inconsistencies in it. Spots where, 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 where there are impurities or, or places where the texture and the, um, the density of the clay was a little bit different. And so the potter had to know what what is this clay good for? Is this clay going to be good enough to make something elaborate or am I going to have to leave thick walls on this because of the nature of the clay? Every piece of clay had its own consistencies, its own inconsistencies. So as the walls of a pot are thin, different textures in the clay might be revealed. Left without a, Left without a guide, left without hands to shape us, left to deal with our own internal inconsistencies, our own limitations... We will be restless, aimless. We will be alone with our anger in one moment, our despondency in another. Jeremiah tells God's people that they are clay that has refused to be shaped and that God is like a potter. The people of God that Jeremiah is talking to um, don't stop worshiping other gods. They don't listen to Jeremiah. He goes as an unheard prophet. As soon as they repent and get back onto the potter's wheel and begin to take the shape of the beautiful pot or vase or whatever God is shaping them into um, an inconsistency in the clay snags or the clay bends or they turn back to the Babylonian gods. Over and over again, the potter starts with new clay. Over and over again, God takes the people of God, puts them back on the pot and starts to shape them. He never throws them in the kiln. He centers it on the wheel and starts spitting. He wets his hands and begins to shape it again. What becomes obvious over Jeremiah's lifetime through the saga of the book of Jeremiah is that God continues to warn God's people of the calamity of trying to run their collective life without him. And yet there he is over and over again with the promise of returning, the promise of reshaping, of making things right. The thing that is alarming There is a potter, an author, a creator that we depend on, a potter in whose hands we are clay. But the potter is good, and his designs were made with each of us in mind. The Heidelberg Catechism, an old Reformed confessional from the 17th century, I think, uh, starts off asking, what is your only hope in life and death? And the answer is, that I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. There is a potter and you are not your own. And that is alarming, but it is ultimately comforting. You don't have to figure this out on your own. And the thing that is comforting and then alarming, that we are given the freedom to be shaped. And this is liberating, but alarming. Later in Jeremiah, God says, I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, 
plans to give you a hope and a future. God's intention is to shape us for good, to shape us into our truest selves. I think often we, 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 we think there's some competition wherein if we turn ourselves over to God, we'll no longer be ourselves. We'll have to be someone we're not. And that's not true at all. The potter has a design for each one of us to shape us into something that is our truest self. This passage invites us to wonder how the potter might be shaping us this fall. In Jesus, the potter has become the clay. In the life of Christ, we see what becomes of the human being who is perfectly obedient. We see the shape that the clay takes when the potter shapes the clay entirely. And and if you expect that the potter wants some, some sort of regal, idyllic person without any odd edges, you'd be wrong. Look at Jesus. The shape that God takes is a fairly unassuming, lowly form. God takes the form of self-giving love, love of God and love of other in every way. That is the shape that the clay takes when it is perfectly obedient to the hands of the potter. This fall, may we consider how how God might be asking us to be more malleable, softer, so that we can take the image of his son. Will you pray with me? God, I pray that you would help us to trust you. Help us to trust that you know the plans that you have for us, plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give us a hope and a future pray that you would help us to trust you so that we might be soft, that we might be malleable, that you might be able to shape us more and more into the image of your Son. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.